Last Sunday, I had the unbelievable privilege of baptizing little Harper Fulcher, your granddaughter. Harper and I had a Whoa! <laughs> Can we backtrack that? I hope that starts over. I had this unbelievable privilege. She's seven years old. She loves Jesus, and she could not wait to be baptized. She couldn't wait. And so right before I baptized her, I asked Harper a question. I said, Harper, would you share what Jesus means to you? And I want you to see what took place. Harper and I had a chance to meet uh, at Hyde Park Village by the fountain. And after that conversation, I want you to know that I came away so inspired by her faith in Jesus. So I want you to hear what she has to say about him. So Harper, are you willing to share what Jesus means to you? Jesus is kind and he will never give up on you. He's always with you and he never is alone from you. He never separates from you. He's always beside you no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I was so encouraged by her, and here we go again. I just feel deeply encouraged by her trust in him. So Harper, now we're going to go over here together. Right. Harper spoke straight from her heart and her love for Jesus, but also her confidence in God's love for her was so unbelievably evident that morning and still in conversations afterward. I am pretty sure that she's going to remember this moment for the rest of her life. And Jesus had a moment like that. A moment that would also anchor his confidence in God's love for him. And we find it in Matthew chapter 3, where it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, who is his cousin. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son. With him I am well pleased. Well, the Jordan River is not remarkable or even really picturesque. And about 30 of you were with me when we went to the Holy Land in 2019, and we stood in the Jordan River, very close to the location where Jesus was baptized. And then that was the place where I had the privilege of baptizing Ron and Nancy Flodo and several people in this church. But the whole time I was thinking, this Jordan River is so ordinary looking, it's so nondescript. Yet it is the setting for this high water mark in Jesus' relationship with his Father. This very public, dramatic moment when the heavens open up 
And God's voice is audible. Everyone can hear it when he said, This is my dearly loved son. With him, I am well pleased. And I imagine that everyone listening to all that probably went, Whoa. Whoa, what just happened? What if that happened right here this morning? What if we heard God's voice audibly declaring over someone in this church? What if it was you, Joanne? What if we heard God say, this is Joanne Strober, my beloved daughter. With her, I am well pleased. Can you imagine what that would be like if we experienced that with her? So with Jesus, there he is, standing in the Jordan River, dripping wet, but experiencing this extraordinary and exquisite example of God's love for him that is so profound, an affirmation of his love that is so profound. And yet, Minutes, hours later, God does something with Jesus that seems completely contrary to this moment. So we're going to pick up where we left off in the story. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit, that's his Father, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's probably the biggest understatement in all of <laughs> But straight from his baptism, God sends Jesus into 40 days of desperate living. 40 days of being attacked with the voice of the evil one. 40 days of it. And with the echo of his father's voice at his baptism in the Jordan River, it is now the evil one's voice, the devil's voice, that is pressing, demanding, relentless. But this is planned. Because who Jesus is is going to be revealed in this moment. Because there are things that God does in the wilderness in difficult circumstances that can't be done in the river. And so in this moment, we know that God was sending Jesus into the wilderness to form him, not to harm him. That's why the word for tempt or temptation in this story is so important. It comes from the Greek word perazzo. And so when perazzo is translated tempt, it gets us part of the way there in understanding what's going on. But it's limited because it doesn't fully explain the scope of what is happening here. Is Jesus going to be tempted to do evil? Yes. But some scholars translate perazzo test because that gets at the heart of the fullness of this experience. And so we know then that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who is going to reveal to us who he is by undergoing this test. 
Just watch. And we continue in our story. During that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, Well, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus was led into this battle intentionally by God his Father, the Spirit of God. Because Jesus knew that the Hebrew Scriptures said that the Messiah must suffer and die. So the evil one here, the devil, is trying to push him off of that trajectory that will lead him to his execution on the cross. He's trying to get Jesus to do it another way. Well, the church around the world calls this day Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the day that we typically picture as that journey that Jesus takes to the cross. When he comes into Jerusalem and they're laying their palms on the ground and yelling, Hosanna, that's what we think of as Jesus' journey to the cross, which happens hours later. But Jesus' journey to the cross didn't begin in that moment. It began three years earlier in the wilderness, in this showdown with evil. And so this morning, when you leave here, you're going to get one of these palms dry. And I want you to take it home. And throughout this week, I want you to look at it and remember that Jesus made the decision three years before he died to suffer and die for us on the cross. And it all started with this question from the evil one. If you are the Holy One, the Son of God, and make these stones turn into bread. Didn't we just hear hours earlier the Father declare over Jesus, you are my dearly loved son? But you see, the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to doubt his identity by pointing out his circumstances to him. You're the son of God and you're out here going through hell and hunger and thirst. If you were the Son of God, and if God really loved you, then why are you out here, Jesus, in this difficult circumstance? If he really had your best interest in mind, 
Look what's happening to you. And the evil one taunts us with the very same logic. If God really had your best interest in mind, I don't think so. Because look what's happening to you right now. I mean, you're going through a divorce. Where's God? You're in the middle of a friend group where there's a lot of drama. It's, it just doesn't let up. Where's, where's God? Is he even helping you? You keep getting overlooked at work. You're getting bombarded with one issue after another. It just never lets up. Yeah, God has your best interest in mind. And so the evil one does the same thing. He's trying to undermine your trust in the Father by pointing out your circumstances to you, taunting you with it, beating you down with it, and then throwing it back in your face. Do you know how Jesus deals with this taunting, with this constant beatdown? He focuses on God's voice in Scripture. And right away, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he gives it right back to the evil one and says, People do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about scripture. We need God's voice to tell us who we are and why we're here. We need God's voice in scripture to help us understand our circumstances and to get God's perspective on our circumstances. We need God's voice in scripture to tell us the truth about who we are. And by drawing from scripture, Jesus is saying, the Father's word to me, his voice from scripture is more real than any circumstance that I'm in, no matter how difficult. Well, I want to promise you, I promise you, that if you immerse in Scripture, what I mean by that is really immerse, rather than just a quick read of a verse and out the door, but more where you sit down and you allow God the space to speak to you, which is what he's doing in Scripture. When you do that, when you immerse like that, you're going to begin to see that God can use the hard places in your life that feel like you're in the wilderness being tempted and tested in circumstances that undermine your trust in Jesus. That God can use it all to demonstrate his love for you and help you look at the truth about what's really in your heart. Because we know that when we're in the wilderness, who we really are begins to surface, and it really comes out. I mean, just like this tube of toothpaste. It just, you know, whoop, there it is. I mean, I've caught myself saying, whoa, I don't know who that was. That was weird. Well, that was me. That's who that was. And I've been tempted to say, you know, I just really wasn't myself. 
Well, no, I was myself. I just wasn't the best version of myself. I was the worst version of myself. And Jesus is showing us how to choose to listen to God's voice in Scripture so that we are able to say no to the lies of the evil one. Because when we do that, we are strengthened. The second temptation is a lot like the first one. He comes right at him with the same old question, if you're the son of God, it's the same devious trick to make Jesus doubt his identity, to stop trusting in his father, and stop trusting in God's plan for him. So he says, make bread out of stones. Jump from tall buildings and not get injured. And Jesus doesn't bite. Instead, he listens to his father's voice and brings it right back to the evil one. That's how he handles it. Well, in the third test, no more questions this time. The evil one comes straight at Jesus. Straight at him. Jesus yells, get out of here. You can really sense Jesus' emotion in this moment. Because he's drawing from the truth of what God says about him. And in this moment, he's telling the evil one to get away from him in the name of God. So what we see is Jesus resisting and rejecting the voice of the evil one with the word of God over and over and over again. And in Psalm 1 it says, we prosper when we meditate on and delight in the word of God. Because friends, we can't do this ourselves. You have to immerse in scripture in order to lead and live a transformed life. We need God's voice in our life, and we need his voice to be louder than the voice of the evil one who wants to taunt you and tear you down and throw your circumstances right back in your face. Well, this became very clear to me in a moment in my life that happened a couple of years ago when we were all still downtown worshiping at, on Zach Street. And that was the time, if you recall, when we got a knock on the door asking if we would sell our property. So we spent the next year praying and fasting and seeking wisdom from God and from others. And during that time, I noticed that uh, there were people whose sentiment about the building itself was really strong. And I knew that they were upset, so I felt afraid that they would leave the church. I also just felt the weight and some anxiety around the magnitude of the decision that we were making. And at the same time, I was worried about Fitz because he's my husband. And here he is at the very center of all of this big decision making that we're doing, right in the middle of all of this overwhelming emotion. And so, while all this is going on, and I'm very stirred up, but trying to just stay faithful and focused on the Lord, 
something happened to me, and you're going to think I'm a big weirdo when I share this with you. You probably already do, that's all right. <laughs> it's okay. But one night, in the middle of all this, uh, we were asleep. Um, I think it was two or three in the morning. And I was awakened with a man at the foot of our bed. And it's the most frightening moment that I can ever remember in my life. I mean, I was, I could not even breathe. I was just immobilized. The person was very shadowy. I, I couldn't make out facial features. And then this, this man, I could see that it was a man, got up on the bed and started to move towards Fitz. And it, I realized who it was. It was the evil one. And I sat up in bed. And I remembered what Jesus said. And I thought about his words. And I said, get out of here, Satan. Get away from my husband. Because what he was doing, while I'm saying this, when he, he had his hands around Fitz's neck, choking him. And I just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And he left. There's something really important you need to know here. Fitz slept through the whole thing. <laughs> he missed the whole getting choked by the devil. <laughs> All that. Oh. Uh, that happened. I'm not a fanciful person. I'm not imaginative. It, it happened. But what I know is that I need, you need, God's voice to be louder than any other voice in your life. So what I want you to do right now as we move towards communion is there's a pad of paper and a pen there. And I want you to use this question, and I want you to write on it the circumstance that threatens your trust in Jesus. Because what we're going to do when you come up for communion is nail it to the cross. Bring your post-it note up. Nail it to the cross. Put it there. Because Jesus defeated it on the cross. Everything, every lie you're being told, every circumstance where the evil one wants to undermine your trust in the Father, it was all nailed to the cross. So the paper, the pads, right there on your seat, you actually are probably still sitting on it. That's why you're uncomfortable. And there's a pen there, and I want you to be prepared to bring it as I move into communion. And Fitz is going to help me move the cross. <laughs> On the night of his arrest, I want you to know something. You probably never noticed it before. When Jesus broke the bread, he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God. What in the world is he doing? Giving thanks to God when he's about to die. He gave thanks because he was thanking his heavenly father that his opportunity to rescue you and me was about to happen. That's why he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every
time you do this, I want you to remember what I did for you. I also want you to remember that he gave thanks to be able to do it for you and me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink it, I want you to remember what I did for you. I gave thanks so that I could die for you and rescue you and give you new life. So this morning, I want you to understand that these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And I want you to come forward, nail to the cross, everything and anything that gets in the way of your trust in Jesus because he accomplished it there for you. I'm inviting the elders to come forward now.